Welcome to the Conversations with Chloe podcast. I'm Chloe, and if you're anything like me, you probably wonder about all the plastic that ends up in the ocean and how it's affecting marine life, and in turn, how does that affect us as human beings and our health and the future? Well, today, I am over the moon excited and honored to be interviewing the wickedly talented and intelligent mission leader of Team Expedition and my new friend, Sally Erthal. Hi, Sally. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks very much. All right. So I want to kind of just jump in here because many people might not know about what your team is up to, and I would love to share this with everyone. So what is Expedition in a nutshell? And maybe how did it come to fruition and what's going on currently, obviously, in these unprecedented times? So X-Expedition um, is a organization where we run all female sailing voyages, carrying out scientific research into plastic pollution and looking at solutions and the actions that everyone can take. So we do a lot of outreach and education as well. Um, we were founded in 2015. So we've been running about five years and we've run one or two voyages a year. It was pre my time being involved in X-Expedition. It was co-founded by two awesome ladies, um, Emily Penn and Lucy Gilliam. And they were both ocean advocates. They're both interested in the ocean and the health of our seas. And they were sailors. And they were presented with this issue when they were out at sea that actually there's a lot of plastic pollution far away from land in the middle of our ocean. And at the time of the, when the idea came to fruition, there was a lot of research just starting to come out about plastic, how toxic chemicals can adhere to the surface and how a lot of those toxic chemicals can actually be endocrine disruptor, which mean that they mimic our hormones. And although men and women both have hormones, obviously hormones are of particular importance during pregnancy. And the amount of research actually carried out on how these kind of things affect women versus affecting men, there's a big disparity between the different um, kind of study groups. And so their idea was, well, we've got this issue. Why not look at it and tackle it with a group of amazing women? And that's when they set out on their first voyage across the Atlantic. And they've been doing it ever since, one or two voyages a year, um, until they stepped it up massively um, in 2019 when we set sail around the world. So we're currently on a pause. As you say, we got hit with a global pandemic, which would have made it unsafe for us to sail and not only to have the women on board, um, with social distancing proving a challenge, um, but also with a lot of the nations we were visiting being vulnerable communities and island nations, um, where obviously we don't want to be held responsible for any spread. So um, we've paused for a year and we've turned to virtual impact with our community, which has been um, actually really inspiring and motivating. And yet we hope to pick up the course again in 2021. Awesome. I mean, just like putting that together in my head of like, you know what, we're going to do research. But then, you know, it's just, to me, it's just so funny. It's just like, you know what else would be great? Let's invite a whole bunch of passengers uh, and women on board that, you know, are from all different nationalities, backgrounds, ages, careers, and have them on board as well. Because the research on its own already is not <laughs> challenging enough. Um, so kind of let's talk about the logistics of that, because that idea already seems like to make it a little bit more complicated. So 
what is the reason or goal to even add these passengers on board? And maybe why do you think it's important in the long run? Yeah, well, having solutions-focused science and having that evidence and research is really important to inform upstream solutions, to impact and influence legislation when it's being made, to share it with industry and stakeholders, to kind of really make a big difference. But all of us on the planet live here to start off with. So it's all of our planet. The ocean belongs to all of us. And we're all, whether we like it or not, are consumers of plastic. It's been so ingrained in our day-to-day lives and in everything that we use. It really does involve everybody. So you don't have to be a sailor or a scientist to be part of our program. You need to be enthusiastic, for sure. You need to be up for a challenge because it can be really hard when you're out at sea. But one of the key things is that we really recognise that there's no one solution. There's no silver bullet solution to this issue. Everyone that we try and invite on board is from a different walk of life. And, you know, even around the world so far, we've had 80 women and we've had 28 different nationalities on board already. So we're actually getting people coming together to really experience the ocean, to learn more about the science, to carry out their own research. So they're, you know, really taking part in this whole research, which helps them to understand it more. But what's most important is everyone has different employment, different jobs, different skill sets or superpowers, as we like to call them. So everyone has a different perspective and comes up with different ideas. And when you get that multidisciplinary team together, you're actually, you know, we tend to generate a lot more creative ideas and more kind of passionate storytelling that bridges that gap between the scientific research and people and their everyday lives. So when our crew go back to shore and X expedition wouldn't happen or have such an impact if it wasn't for all the amazing women that do come on board, when they go back to shore, they share their story in whatever sphere of influence they might have. And, you know, that has a far wider reach than if it was just us on board taking the measurements and, and the scientific research and carrying out what you know, outreach work we can do. So we're broadening the spectrum so that more people can be exposed to the realities of what's going on, but also all these different solutions that are actually, everyone can do something to make a bit of a difference, however big or small. I love that approach. You know, I feel like bringing in community and, and you know, promoting the idea of having interdisciplinary conversations and, you know, everybody sort of, you know, in a way taking accountability and realizing that it's not going to be up to one person or one team or one organization or one government. It is a team effort, a global team effort, quite frankly. And that approach to me is just maybe, maybe I'm slightly biased, but I feel like women naturally in a way think like that anyways, or family oriented or community oriented. And to me, I just find it amazing that someone put both together like was able to put a research team together and get passengers on board and coordinate that like obviously there's a lot of logistics and safety measures and precautions that have to go along with that but to me honestly I when I found this out I was like is that even possible has anybody even done this before and I I, I am just taken back and thank you honestly as what I should be saying is because I always think about you know if anybody is actually interested in looking at the data and and these these issues in depth so how about we go into that a little bit more and let's talk about what actual types of data is being measured for this type of research and conclusively is it 
measuring any type of associated risk for, you know, uh, marine health or human health and what is plastic toxicity and I guess what does that mean over time if we continually put, you know, have plastic ending up in the ocean? What does that mean? Yeah, um, it's hard to say what exactly it's going to mean over time because it's very difficult for us to predict exactly how different human, like humans and different species are going to be affected. Um, but what we're trying to really do is very much have solutions focused science. We know there's plastic in the ocean. Everybody now knows that. It's about actually making that connection that that lot of that plastic, about 80% of it, comes from land-based sources. So therefore, and we know that a lot of that plastic, anyway, it's a human-created material. So we know that it's anthropogenic in nature. So it's us that's put it out there into the environment. So it's about us looking at actually, how can we find out what this plastic is and where it's coming from so that we can look upstream at how we can manage the waste better how we can look at reducing that particular type of plastic that might be more dominant in our environment is it linked to a particular type of product that can then be either managed better when it comes to the end of the waistline or you know is there an alternative that we can use so we're, we're doing lots of different scientific research some of it's on land so we're working with professor jenna jambeck and her team at the university of georgia to carry out our circularity assessment protocol so we're looking at waste leakage in the different areas that we're going to um, so we're looking at kind of you know what waste is actually found out on the streets on the beaches in different areas but we're also looking at what kind of products and packaging is used in the shops what's prevalent and, and dominant in those particular areas. So we can get a much better understanding of actually what is the makeup of our plastic story of that particular location and environment? What can we do to improve the waste management infrastructure or to eliminate that plastic being used and going out into our environment in the first place? We're also carrying out some scientific research on board. So we're looking at four different levels. We're looking at some air sampling, so micro and nanoplastics that are actually in our atmosphere and in our air, which is a scary thought. There was a research article um, a little while ago that looked into the amount of plastic particles falling on your dinner plate, um, which was quite scary to look at. Um, but then also looking at the surface. So we have a piece of equipment called a mantatrol that's about 60 centimetres, mouth is about 60 centimetres wide, and it's got a fine mesh net at the end of it. And we take that across the surface of the water for about one nautical mile and it collects up these tiny bits of microplastic that are floating on the surface of our ocean and these microplastics are smaller than your little fingernail so when you look out over the side of the boat it looks like a beautiful blue ocean but when we actually take that net through the water we're seeing that it's actually a different story um, and so we then sample that process those samples on board and look at the different types of microplastics. We've got a Perkin Elmer FTR, FTIR spectrometer machine, which tells us how we can, what type of plastic it is and what polymer types we can start to identify where and it might have come from and what it's been used for. Um, and then that's our surface. We're also looking at the subsurface. So we deploy a piece of equipment off the side of the boat that has two open ends and we send a messenger, we send it down to 25 meters below the surface. 
send a messenger weight down which shuts the two ends of it and captures water from that particular depth we then haul it up and, and filter it through so that we've got um our samples and we've also found plastic in those from our expedition so far um, and then finally we are ultimately we know that there's plastic floating on the surface of the ocean and we know that ultimately a lot of it does sink and that the ultimate sink is going to be the seafloor. So we're also looking at some sediment samples in the coastal waters. We're not quite at submarine level yet. So we've got a sediment grab that we send down when we're in the intertidal zone, um, which means we can then reach the ground and pull up some samples to be analysed back in the laboratory. So we're trying to get a real picture of the, the different plastic, prevalence of plastic and types of plastic in those different zones, um, which gives us an insight into, yeah, what's actually out there? How's it moving? We've got going to have a global data set, um, you know, of a transect around the entire world, looking at areas of density, such as the gyres, which are our accumulation zones, and there's five of those across the planet. But also we're heading up to the Arctic, which is a lot more remote, a lot less densely populated and therefore you know that would be really interesting to see how what the prevalence of plastic is in those environments as well. Wow you know it seems to me based on what you're explaining that the team is taking a holistic approach it's not just you know um, measuring certain data points instead they're looking at the bigger picture and saying and, and asking questions of what do we need to understand holistically and then go in and measure those points and then try to challenge, you know, our, our school of thought that we have right now. And something that I actually am not very familiar with, and maybe you could just maybe give me some more background knowledge is I hear you say gyres. And I know that people talk about the giant garbage patch in the ocean, but what is that actually, what is that actually? Cause I don't, I don't understand. How does, how does the plastic swirl around? Like, how does it get there in the first place? What, is that, what does that look like if you're trying to explain that to me, someone who has no background? So the gyres are um, accumulation zones of plastic and they're caused by actually the water currents within our oceans. So our earth is spinning around, as we know, and that causes a deflection of the winds. And the winds are actually what drives the surface ocean currents. So about the top 10% of our ocean is what we call the surface ocean currents. And the winds go from clockwise in the northern hemisphere and counterclockwise or anticlockwise in the southern hemisphere. And that's caused by the spin of our Earth that deflects those winds. So normally they just go from the low pressure equator where it's warm, the air rises, it travels towards the um, the poles where it's high pressure and the air sinks because it becomes colder. But because we've got the spinning of the earth, it actually deflects them outwards. And that causes these circular gyres. And basically, as it spins, as the gyres are moving around, they're drawing in that plastic waste from the different zones. So you get this accumulation zone. Now, a lot of it is a bit of a misconception. So the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is definitely there, but it's not the islands of plastic that a lot of people think it is. We sailed through it in 2018, and it was really shocking to see the identifiable bits of plastic floating past the boat. So we saw half a toilet seat a toothbrush, a chair with all of its legs and things that just should not be out in the middle of the ocean. But what was the most shocking were these, these tiny microplastics. It's almost a plastic soup. It's just littered and it's huge. Um, 
And that's because the bigger bits of plastic actually break down over time. So they don't break down in terms of rotting and decomposing. They almost break up into more and more particles, which become really hard to actually clean up. So that's why we need to be looking on land as to actually stopping that plastic making its way out into the ocean in the first place. Because once it becomes a microplastic, often it's naked to the human eye and it becomes really hard to have cleanup as the, the main response to this environmental um, challenge. Now, when we talk about all this research being done and having 300 women who were on board and they go back into their communities and share their experiences, have you seen already or what are you hoping to see as the tangible change that will come from that? Yeah, I'd say, as I said before, X Expedition wouldn't be what it is without the amazing women that come on board. And it's them that really carry the legacy for what we're doing. And they create the shift and the change in people's perceptions. Um, each of us has a sphere of influence, whether that's our workplace or our community. And, you know, some people have massive spheres of influence. Some people's are slightly smaller. But, you know, with everyone going out and telling their own story, it makes it more relatable. Um, for example, me telling my story, some people might be thinking, oh, that's great, she's really interesting and I want to listen. Some people might be switching the off button, but the more of people you have telling their story and their version of events, that you know, the more people that are gonna kind of be reached. And so therefore, that's what's most important. And so far, I think we've had um, events in 14 different countries, not just the ones from on top of the ones that we've held as part of our round the world experience so far. We've had women go back to their own communities, go into schools, carry out workshops, go into their offices, have a lunchtime session where they're, they're talking about how they might be able to reduce single-use plastic within the office environment. Um, and then you've got people that are also looking at the, the policy making or legislation level as well, um, where they might have um, kind of, you know, connections or particular interests in those areas as well, which is why it's so important to have people from all different walks of life on board. I, I find that very interesting because it's kind of like covering all the bases in a way. And the best approach, obviously, is to have a massive team working together. And I really like the, it, it's kind of like a camaraderie, right? It, it's everybody working together to achieve or attain a certain goal. Um, but I can't help but think, how did we get to this point in history? Obviously, this is not, this is not, plas plastic's only been around for a certain period of time. And how much of that that was created actually is in our ocean you know what i mean so can you kind of break down or what you theorize as how the plastic got there in the first place and what are the barriers that are currently existing for us to slow that spread down yeah i think that it's i think one of the most shocking things is if you actually think about it if plastic doesn't decompose it means that every bit of plastic ever created is still on our planet in some form somewhere. So if you just think about the number of toothbrushes, like I now use a bamboo toothbrush, but previous to, to kind of my awareness of the impact that I was having on the planet, I used a toothbrush like everybody else. And if I went away for a weekend and forgot a toothbrush, I'd buy one from the store and I'd still use it and then use it again later. But if you think of that, and that's a really intimate item and it's just 
there's so many of them um, that it's not a surprise that we have so much plastic out in our ocean or in landfill. Um, we've got this linear waste economy, really. Um, we have attempted to look at recycling. I think it's about 9% of plastic actually gets recycled, which is a shocking figure when you think how many people in their houses are kind of sorting out their, their waste. And that's brilliant. And I really want people to carry on doing what they can do with their, their plastic waste at home. But, you know, not every municipality or council um, recycles every bit of plastic. So therefore, you know, you need to look those numbers, there's those little triangles with seven numbers normally on every bit of plastic. Some of those numbers of that particular type of plastic might be very hard or very expensive to recycle. Um, whereas other bits of plastic have a higher value. There are some amazing like schemes such as deposit return schemes. So where you take your bottle and you swap your bottle for bottle and it becomes in a loop. Um, which you know is a really great way to go and I think the thing is yes it's not been that long if you look at geological history that we've been on the planet let alone that we've been using plastic and um, so we've made a massive impact on our environment in a in a relatively short space of time and none of us really it kind of crept up on us it's kind of been lots of micro actions that have got us into this situation where our day-to-day -day lives rely so much on the use of plastic I mean it's an amazing material it is durable and it lasts for a really long time and you know it's cheap to make um, and it's made massive advances in things like medical care so it's not plastic as the material that's the enemy here it's the way that we use it and the way in which products are designed to be used for five minutes and that's the easiest way in which we can kind of start to turn this around is thinking about how we're using this material of plastic and can we be more sustainable in our, our approach to its use? Yeah, you know, I, I always ask myself questions when I'm grocery shopping, right? And that's kind of where I see, just because you mentioned the toothbrushes, right? I walk by that aisle and I just think to myself, why don't all these manufacturers have bamboo options right beside, you know, the plastic options? Or why in general are our models of like end of life uh, waste management solutions not really capitalizing on turning over the material into like a secondary product? Or why is there no society uh, or why is there not enough society practices, like you said, like the deposit return, where it kind of makes sense to have like more of a circular economy, if you will. Um, and for me, someone who kind of struggles with this idea, it, the the time that I get probably the most, you know, upset, if I'm being honest, is when I see that a, a, a grocery store or a seller, it, you know, marks down the price of plastic water bottle cases. And I see people just loading and loading and loading their carts with these plastic water bottles. And, you know, I'm going to tread really lightly here because I do have very close and loving family members and friends, as I'm sure you do as well, that will regularly purchase, you know, plastic water bottles. And to me, they are single-use plastic. I'm pretty sure they are. Um, I was just wondering if you can maybe offer me some advice or maybe some guidance on how I can kind of better equip myself to, you know, have these conversations with my community to maybe get them to just start thinking about not purchasing these 
products anymore. And I just want to say as well, for anybody who's listening, I know that there are people in this world that do not have access to clean drinking water and therefore plastic, um, sorry, water bottles are their safest form of receiving water. But I'm talking about people who maybe live with more privilege. And for example, in my just small community as well. We don't need, we have safe drinking water where I am and I don't need to be buying plastic water bottles. So I was just wondering if maybe you can help me out and maybe drive a different conversation with people in my life. Yeah, it's really hard because the last thing you want to do is ostracize or really upset your nearest and dearest that then, you know, stop inviting you and stop wanting to speak to you because, you know, you become the person in the room that always talks about single use plastic and how people should be changing their behaviors. So, yeah, it's it's important to, you know, be empathetic and aware of that nobody likes to be told that they've been doing something wrong basically even from the two-year-old to the 82-year-old um but it is really about educating and raising awareness and I think a lot of the habits that we've formed have come about because we've been ill-informed about and we've not really thought about where the away is when we throw something away there was actually a study with water bottles where I think, I can't remember the exact quote, but I think there was actually more micro, they tested 250 or 300 bottles of water and there was over 90% of those bottles had microplastics within them. So, you know, you might be, you might be thinking that you're getting much cleaner, safer water, but actually it could be that you're just getting water that's just in a different form and in a bottle. Um, It is not made any easier by COVID, I know that um, there's a lot of reusable stations that had started to pop up in different places and cafes and restaurants that would be happy to refill your water bottle that now are less willing to do so because of obviously the health and safety measures that have had to be put in place while we deal with the current issue with the pandemic. So, you know, this is with that as a caveat as well. But I think if you can find a way that actually makes people realise that the impact they're having actually has a much or the the one small choice that they're making if all of those add up it might be them just having a water bottle but if everyone on the planet had a water bottle we'd have now almost eight billion water bottles if everyone just had one plastic water bottle so it's a it's a pretty big difference to make and i think the thing to remember is however big or small we think our actions might be actually our behaviors do make a difference And it's those single use plastics that if you can find an alternative that works for you, actually can have a much bigger, wider impact than, you know, our individual lives. And I think that is what I probably go with. But I do appreciate it can be really tricky, particularly when you're you're speaking with close friends and family. Yes. And, you know, this can kind of this conversation can be extended a little bit further, because, as you said, a lot of people Um, nobody really likes to be told that they're doing something wrong and you know that can bring upon feelings of maybe embarrassment or even anger and I often you know butt heads with my own father about this issue of plastic because and actually I've even talked to my friend Margaret too and her dad is the same way and says there is like they've kind of lost hope in a way where they're just like it doesn't even matter because it all ends up in the garbage anyways right So they kind of take this mentality. And just like this past Sunday, I was talking to my dad and I told him, you know, the best thing that we should do is just to stop buying plastic in the first place if we can, if that is an option. But he says that there really isn't even a point 
to it because there isn't even a point in it that I have lofty ideas and that I don't know what I'm talking about because it's so cheap to make and it's always going to be around and we can't stick up to these big companies or anything like that. You know, there's like obviously a flip side to this where people don't believe that there is any use in, you know, uh, lowering our, our, our plastic use. And so I kind of struggle with that backlash because, you know, it's, I don't know how to see eye to eye with people like that. So I was just wondering if you have ever come across people that are like that and maybe, you know, how do you deal with people who kind of, uh, you know, provide you a little bit of backlash? Yeah. I mean, I used to be a school teacher, so I got backlash all the time, which hardened my shell a little bit. Um, but I think it's really important to remember that, you know, everyone is entitled to their own beliefs to an extent, but I think, if you can have part of a conversation where you can provide some evidence that actually, you know, is robust and supports what you're saying, which there is a lot out there, then, you know, that is something that hard facts are much harder to argue with. But obviously that involves potentially an element of confrontation, which a lot of people can feel really awkward about, particularly, you know, if, you know, they are less confident with this issue as a whole. I think, the main thing is each and every one of us needs to take responsibility for our own actions in everything that we do. But, you know, particularly when it comes to the environment, we all call planet Earth home. That's the one thing we all have in common. And unless there's some aliens out there that I'm not sure about, um, but it's the one thing we all have in common. Therefore, we all need to look after it in the best way that we can. And, you know, it kind of needs to take everyone doing something imperfectly you don't have to be the, the kind of the perfect person that lives the perfect lifestyle and never uses plastic but you know really starting to think about how you are using it and your footprint on the planet is really important we used to teach i used to teach geography and i used to teach about sustainable development and the whole premise around sustainable development was not only building something or creating something that meets the needs of the community and and the environment for the now today but also provides and still allows for those opportunities for future generations and I think that's where you know it's really important for us to think about it beyond our own lives which you know as much as I'd like to think ours really important relatively insignificant and um, that actually you know there's a much bigger world out there at play and all of us are part of it and need to take responsibility for our own actions. Yeah, you know, that reminds me of a really great quote that I heard, which says, we don't inherit the land, we just borrow it from our children. You know what I mean? So I, I think that you have a very good point there. And also now I'm kind of encouraged to make a very detailed PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> give that to my dad. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, he might not invite you over next weekend. <laughs> Probably not. Um, so I was just wondering now, because this, this always gets me curious, right? Is you, I have the mentality of if I know better, I'll try to do better, right? Um, but sometimes in my life, there have been difficult challenges for me in order to do better. And one of those particularly was when I started to change my diet. Like it wasn't easy at first. And at first, I kind of did it for health reasons. And then over time, I realized that I'm, it's not just about me. It is about the world as well. So currently, I am vegetarian. And I'm wondering if you want to answer this, you don't have to, you know, after seeing all the plastic pollution in the ocean, do you still eat fish? 
I don't eat very much meat or fish in my diet at all. Um, actually, when we were sailing across the North Pacific Gyre in 2018, we did some research where we took a hair sample and we tested it for mercury. Um, and my mercury levels were 1.527, I think. Um, so relatively high, considering it was considered a fine level. There were some much higher levels out there. Um, but to put it into context, it's best to have it under one. And if you're pregnant, it's best to have it under 0.3. So my mercury levels were relatively high and, and that actually meant that I, that, that quite shocked me because it was the first time that there'd been that direct correlation. I mean, I most didn't really eat much meat anyway. Um, I was living in Indonesia just before, so I, my diet protein consisted mainly of tempeh, which was amazing. <laughs> um, but, you know, that did really shock me into actually not wanting to eat fish at all. And, you know, feeling a bit horrible about eating meat and, and kind of, just starting to eliminate those from my diet. Um, and so it went from being, you know, the diet I grew up on to, to quite quickly changing. Um, I do now eat a bit, but not really, not very much. And, you know, I'm quite picky about what kinds of fish because it's not just the toxic chemicals affecting me and it's not just the plastic in the ocean. It's actually the fact that, you know, our oceans are overfished massively um as much as you might be buying sustainably caught organic fish which is obviously the best way to go if you're going to eat fish it is really important to just be mindful of the fact that there's a lot of people on our planet and um you know there's a lot of different protein sources some people only have access to fish as protein sources but others have a bit more of a choice um and therefore you know just having a bit more variety i think is really important both for ecological reasons but you know it can be quite fun i've quite enjoyed um developing a more um culinary skills in vegetarian and vegan cooking to be honest particularly during lockdown when i've had more time to play in the kitchen <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people can say the same thing um it's just so funny that you know you mentioned that as well is that we you know we do have uh, some people in this world i am included in this do have so many different choices. Like we have over 12 different types of alternative milks. Like, I don't know how many more things we can milk, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> we're, we're good. Um, but yeah, I think that asking ourselves those questions um, based on experiences that we're having during, you know, our everyday lives is important. So that kind of leads me just to my, like my finale question with you, which is, what do you, what question do you wish more people asked you or what question do you wish more people asked themselves? The question that I always leave everyone thinking is if you do anything, I, you know, you might get, might want to go off and suddenly eliminate drinking from plastic water bottles or, you know, making sure you take your reusable bag to the supermarket. But I think the consumer actually has a massive say. And I think the one question that we could all ask ourselves a little bit more through everything is actually, do I really need it? And if the answer is no, or maybe, maybe wait a little while, if you still really want it or need it, obviously, you know, you can do down the line, but you know, it's, it allows us to be a bit more mindful about what we're actually purchasing um, whether it's wrapped in plastic, whether we really need it, because actually the impact of me buying that thing is going to be much bigger and be around for a lot longer than the, 10 or 15 minutes I'm eating it I mean it's hard because I really don't think that the 
economy, the way it's set up, makes it very easy to choose to become plastic free at all. And it's, you know, it is a real struggle. Um, but there are some really good alternatives out there and something that everyone can do is um, we've actually got a platform called shift.how so if you go on the internet and type in www.shift.how um, this has hundreds of different solutions all the way from you know the individual actions you can take community ideas different products that you can look at to use as alternatives and um, all the way up to you know legislation and policy and how that might be influenced as well so that's a great place if people are starting to think actually what can i do yes there's the obvious things of eliminating single-use plastic there's thinking do i really need it but if you want some more inspiration and ideas then that's a great place to start because it's kind of a now becoming a community fed resource online um, with lots and lots of different solutions so it's a great place to get started I really love the community aspect of everything that you're doing and um, ways that people can also get involved. So if anybody listening wants to find out more about Team X Expedition, uh, where yeah. can they go? And then also what resources are available to them if they want to learn more about plastic pollution in the ocean? Yeah, so um, we've got our website, which is www xexpedition.com so it's expedition with two x's um, and if you go on there you can find out more about where we're sailing to if you're interested you can apply to join us on one of the voyages although we obviously have paused recruitment for the time being for obvious reasons and um, but there's also a science page on there which tells you a little bit more in detail about the science that we're carrying out but also gives an overview of, of the kind of scientific research about this environmental issue in general. Um, and then it's the website that I mentioned before, if people are wanting to think about their lives and how they can make a difference and shift their behaviors to take some action, then shift.how is a great place to find loads of different solutions. And there's bound to be at least one on there, an alternative swap or an idea that you know would reach out to each and everyone. So. Thank you again, Sally, for taking the time to talk with me. Honestly, this has been an amazing conversation. It's very, it's been very eye-opening for me and also quite inspiring. And now I, I kind of have a little bit more hope in the future. Um, and I just want to say, if you can relay this message to the team as well, I really appreciate everything that you're doing for the future. And I want to just let you know that sometimes growing up as a female, I never thought that we could be researchers or we could sail across the world. But the fact that I am, you know, 28 years old and I get to see this with my own eyes is just for me, like a full circle moment. It's like, wow, not only can it be done, it is being done. And I, you know, to me, I just want to say thank you for being really inspiring just in my own life. Oh, thank you very much. And yeah, let's hope there's lots of people listening that can try and live their dreams and their, their hopes to make the world a better place as well. All right. Thank you everyone for joining in to uh, the Conversations with Chloe podcast and until next time, take it easy.